All right, all right. Well, we are continuing our series, Storytellers, which we have been in for the last four weeks. This is week number five. And so I want to open this up by asking you a question. How many of you like movies? Movies. I like movies. How many of you like to go actually to the theater to watch the movie? How many of you would prefer to stay at home and just rent it when it comes out on video and pop your own popcorn? It's a little more cost-effective that way these days. Although... Not that I'm getting paid for this endorsement, but Movie Tavern on Tuesdays does $5 Tuesdays. So, just saying. And also, here's a tip. Just go ahead and get their app. And if you get their app and sign up for Movie Rewards, you can buy tickets online and get out of paying that little fee. It's like $7 to just buy the ticket. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, you're charging me to buy a ticket? Like, good night. Just add it into the cost and not tell me about it. But when you tell me about it, it's like, I don't even want to buy the ticket. So, I'm just saying. Movie Tavern, I'm, I'm available for some endorsement deals if you're out there listening. <laughs> free movie, free popcorn, I'll take it. But I love movies, I really do. I love, I love movies. I can sit on a Saturday and watch movie after movie after movie. Uh, I think they heard my request for this at some point because like all the stations seem to like just run movies on Saturdays. And so like I can just, I can veg and watch movies. Like I just, I love it, I love it, I love it. And so... Uh, but, but let me ask you this. Are there any movies that you've ever watched and you're like, when it gets to the end, you're like, man, I wish it would just continue. Like it needs a sequel. There's certain movies out there that just need sequels, right? And it just seems to me that like Hollywood wants to torment us and give us the sequels that we don't want and not give us the sequels that we do want. Now, I do want to give you some, some hope today because here are some sequels that have gotten the green light in Hollywood that are coming, okay? Y'all ready for this? Indiana Jones is going to come out with a fifth one. They needed to redeem themselves after Crystal Skull because that was just a little too out there. Indiana Jones and Aliens, come on, somebody, help me. Like, can we go back to looking for lost artifacts in the Bible or something, but not Aliens, okay? So, like, there is an Indiana Jones 5 coming out, and this one is where Harrison Ford is going to pass the baton. That's a little sad for me, but hey, the guy's getting up there in some age, so I understand. They killed him off in Star Wars, so, you know, you got to let him go. How many of y'all remember that movie Rocketeer? It's like a Disney movie back from like the 90s, the Rocketeer. Well, they're going to come out with a second one of those. How about that, huh? All you Rocketeer fans, and uh, man, look at this. And so here's another one. How many of y'all, um, now, now I'm really going to be speaking to some 90s kids here. Space Jam, anybody? Space Jam. What? We got Space Jam 2 coming out. LeBron has taken over the role that Michael Jordan played, so there you go. Somebody's got to do it, right? Now, 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 here's one. I had to throw one in there, right? Now, here's one that I'm really, I'm excited about. Any Gladiator fans in here? Oh, yeah. I mean, Maximus Aurelius. I mean, like, come on. Let's, like, Gladiator was one of those movies that made you feel like, like, like I could do that. And then you think about it, and you're like, no, I could not do that. But it was one of those things. Uh, so Gladiator 2 is going to come out. It's going to be based on Russell Crowe's, uh, the, 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 his part in the movie, his son, and all that. So it'll, it'll, it'll be good. Gladiator. Now, here's one that might be a little controversial, saying this one from the pulpit. 
because of the kind of movie that it was. It, you know, you don't realize these things that you watch these as kids and then when you grow up and you watch the movie again that's not the TBS version, you actually watch the real version and you're like, what? Like, I really watched that? <laughs> like, what? Coming to America? Please watch the TBS version of that movie, okay? You'll save yourself a lot of beeps. Um, so, but I, I did enjoy that movie. I mean, I liked the, the movie, Coming to America. It was, you know, Mr. Randy Watson. All right. Uh, but anyhow, Coming to America 2 is coming out. And then here's the last one. And this one, I think, is actually coming out next month. Uh, any Top Gun fans? So this section right here in the back is really going to be excited come next month because they're going to see Top Gun 2. Maverick has now become the instructor at Top Gun, so you'll... But let's face it, let's face it. We, we love movies because most of the time the movies that we love are ones that tell great stories, right? I mean, that's the reason we like movies is because they tell a great story. And we don't want that story to end. That's why we have hopes and dreams that sequels will come out. You know, I mean, like, we can't let Toy Story die. we got to have a number four. And it's like people are going to go because they want to see the story continue. They don't want Andy to leave the toys. They don't want Woody to go into the, into the toy abyss or whatever they go when they're done. You know, I mean, it's like we want Woody's story to continue. We want Buzz Lightyear's story to continue. Now, let me tell y'all something. If y'all get this excited right now, y'all better really get excited later on. That's all I'm going to say. Do you know that your life is a story? Your life is a story, and it's being written right now. In fact, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, he was telling the Corinthian church this, but I believe that he would echo this to us today. He says, clearly you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It's not carved on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. What Paul was communicating here to the Corinthians was this, is that your life is a story. Your life is a story that is being read by those that you do life with. Those that you come across in life People are reading your story. As believers, you are a story from Christ for others to read. Now let me ask you a question. Are people looking at you and looking at your story and wishing for that story to continue? Now here's a better question to ask. Is the very thing they need to see to have hope in their life is your story continuing? Let me ask that question again. Is the very thing that they need to see to have hope in their life is to see your story continue? Because people need to see your story continue because they're looking for hope. You have people that watch your life whether you think so or not. If you have kids, this is definitely you. They watch you. But more than just kids at home, 
People in your workplace, people in the marketplace, people everywhere are watching you. They're reading your story, especially those of us that say we believe in Jesus because they're looking for hope and they want to see if Jesus is the real deal or not. So when you say that you believe in Jesus, you live for Jesus, they're looking at your life and they're saying, okay, let me read this story and see if it's true. Let me read this story and see if Jesus really is who he says that he is. Let me read this story and see if they're living it out. Because they need hope. We're living in a day and time where people need hope more than ever before. And it's going to come because they're going to read stories like your story. Like my story. I believe that that was what the writer of Hebrews was doing when he was writing that famous uh, chapter number 11. Where it's, the, it's called the Great Hall of Faith chapter in the Bible and I believe that what he was doing is he was encouraging those that he was writing to to say you know what listen you have a story these people had a story and because people read their story people's lives were changed and the same thing that happened because of of, of, of me coming into their life and doing something through their life the same can happen through you and he starts chapter 11 off with this idea of faith and in the Amplified Version, it says this in Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 2. Now, faith is the assurance. It's the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for that have been divinely guaranteed. What faith is, it is it's the title deed. What is the title deed? It's something that proves ownership. And so that's what faith does. God has given all of us some inkling of faith, some amount of faith. He's given to it to all of us. Why? Because that is like our, his purchase agreement. Saying, hey, look, you've got to look at this faith. Use the faith. Like, like, like believe in the faith that I've given you. Because it is the title deed. It's the confirmation of things hoped for that are divinely guaranteed and the evidence of things not seen. The conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. For by this kind of faith, the men of old gained divine approval. So he opens up chapter 11 where this is the hall of faith. We're about to get into people's lives and what God did in and through them. And he said these were men and women of faith. And because they were men and women of faith that didn't just receive faith, but actually activated their faith, used their faith, guess what the result was? They gained approval from God. In fact, in, later on in Hebrews 11, it says that God is the rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. It says that it's impossible to please Him without faith. And not just faith that lies dormant. He's looking for an active faith. One that is being used. So the writer of Hebrews, he goes on and he begins names like this and gives accounts of those that exemplified faith. He lists Abel, the one son of Adam that brought an, a, a worthy offering talks about Enoch who had such a close relationship with God that he just went on a walk one day and never came back he just left with God 
How cool is that? Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the people of Israel, and Rahab. Rahab! Just go and check out her occupation in the Bible and see if he's not willing to use anything as what Mike said earlier. He already knows everything. He knew what Rahab was going to do. He knew who she was, know what she did. And guess what? He still said, I want you. So then he writes this in Hebrews eleven thirty-two through 35. How much more do I need to say? After he's given all those accounts, it would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jathah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. You know what's interesting is those that weren't named. Like, where's Elisha and Elisha? Like, those are some two big names in the Bible that don't even make the list here. It's just all the other prophets. We don't even get, to get their name. It's just all the other prophets. It's pretty amazing. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. I mean, doesn't that sound fabulous? I mean, doesn't that sound amazing? Doesn't that sound like, man, let's sign up for some faith, right? Let's get into some faith action classes so that we can learn how to use that faith so that we can begin to do the very same things that these guys did. But it's not just all rosy either because he goes on to say, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. I think what he was trying to say here is that yes, by faith mountains can move. By faith you can, you can overcome armies. By faith you can have great victories. But he's also saying, listen, faith is not just for now. Faith is for eternity. Faith is for what lies ahead of you, not just what is in front of you. And see, the ultimate thing that comes against you and I is death. Nobody's going to escape it. We're all going to die someday. It's just a fact of life. But guess what? Those of us that believe in who Christ is, believes in who God is, guess what? We overcome death the moment that we experience it. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. And so while death might have its sting, it will not last. But we have to have faith to believe. You see, for those that were tortured on this side of heaven, for those that experienced brutality, brutality, those who experience hardships and struggles and all of that, guess what their faith said? I can endure this because it's only going to be for a little bit because I've got a whole eternity waiting on me of all fullness and all glory and all awesomeness and all the presence and all the love, all the joy, the peace that I could ever imagine. It's coming. So I can have faith to endure. Now, these are some pretty strong names that just got mentioned. But look how he closes out Hebrews chapter 11. Now, I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. I want you to listen to this. These were true heroes, commended for their faith. Yet, they lived in hope without receiving the fullness of of what was promised them. Now that's amazing 
in and of itself. To think about Noah, Moses, Joseph, Isaac, Jacob, David, Gideon, these great men of faith, that it says right here that they lived in hope without receiving the fullness of what was promised to them. Now, while that verse is shocking, verse 40 is even more shocking because it goes on to say, but now God has invited us. Guess what that us is? That's you. That's me. But now God has invited us to live in something better than what they had. Faith's fullness. This is so that they could be brought to finished perfection alongside of us. What? What? God has invited you and I to live in something better than what Moses lived in? To live in something better than Elijah, Elisha, better than Noah, better than all these people that experience great moves of God because of their faith? Something better than that? called faith's fullness you see God's story that he desires to write is called you whatever your name is put it in those quotation marks and guess what that story is epic it's an epic story one that deals with all of the elements of a great movie right I mean every movie like superhero movies think about that it's all about like let's get introduced to the good guys then let's get introduced to the bad guys then let's get introduced to the the tragedy let's get introduced to the struggle let's get introduced to that moment in the movie where you think my goodness they're not gonna make it the good guy is gonna lose and then all of a sudden right at the end boom it happens and the good guy wins It's epic. I mean, Avengers Endgame. I mean, my goodness. Raked in over a billion dollars. I mean, it'll be the highest grossing movie ever. And think about it. It was one of those movies. Like, you get to the end of it. Sorry if you haven't seen it. But if you haven't seen it by now, you're not seeing it. So, like, listen to me. It gets to the very end, and you think Thanos, the great enemy, is going to just totally annihilate everything and then all of a sudden the skies open up and boom here comes all these other Avengers out from nowhere and boom they save the day but it was an epic story guess what your story your life is more epic than that do you realize that what the writer of Hebrews was saying is, is that your life has the ability to be more epic than Moses to be more epic than Noah, to be more epic than Joseph, to be more epic than all the prophets, to be more epic than David, to be more epic than Gideon? Do you realize that that's what he's saying? Because on this side of grace, on this side, because we have Jesus not just around us, but in us, that our story has the ability to be more epic. Are you giving him blank pages to work with? 
Are you giving him blank pages to work with or do you just hand him a story that's already written because it's the story you want? Or it's the story that somebody else said that you had to have? You know, sometimes in the Bible, it's kind of good to just take out the chapter numbers and the verse numbers because a lot of times what we do is we allow the breaks in the chapters, even the paragraphs, to break it up and we don't realize that some of this stuff is just a continuation of what's already been said. So like when chapter 11 gets done, it's not over. Chapter 12 is just a, it's just, you might as well just have kept it chapter 11. Like why did you stop it there? Why did you make it chapter 12? I don't know. But guess what? It continues and this is what it says, continuing in uh, chapter 12 verses 1 through 3. As for us, we have all of these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. You know who, that, who those people are? Those, are? those are people like Moses. Those are people like Joseph. There are people like the prophets. There are people that are all around waiting to see what are you going to do? Because guess what? I, you know, this is just my thought. Not that there's jealousy in heaven, but I think if there were, it's those guys that look at you and I and say, my goodness, what an opportunity that they have that I wish that I could have. Because all they experienced was the Holy Spirit coming on them. They didn't experience the Holy Spirit coming in them. And so we've got to understand that, like, listen, what we have access to is far greater. The writer of Hebrews said that. It's far greater. It's faithfulness because we live on this side of Jesus. And they're looking at us going, my goodness, this is going to be great. It's going to be great. And sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we don't make the decisions that they would have made or that we should make. And they look at us and they go, it's okay, it's okay. We believe in, we're believing because it's just like all great epic movies, right? The good guy's going to win. They're going to win. They're eventually going to win. And I'm going to have to go through it, but it's okay. And they keep watching and they keep, and it's like they're on the edge of their seat just waiting to see what we're going to do. What story is going to be written? So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. Then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination for the path has already been marked out before us. Verse 2, we look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation, and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider carefully how Jesus faced such intense opposition from sinners who opposed their own souls so that you won't become wore down and cave in under life's pressures. Now remember the writer of Hebrews is writing to those that need to be encouraged. You see, sometimes we can read something like that and we think, oh man, these guys are getting a pep talk because, I mean, it's just the pregame. No, these guys are worn out. These guys are tired. The people that the writer of Hebrews is writing to, they're worn out. They're tired. They're disappointed. They're discouraged. They are, they are just needing encouragement in a bad way. If I was a betting man, and I'm not, I would place my bet that some of you are here today feeling the very same way that the people that he was writing to felt. You're discouraged. 
You're wondering if my story is over. You're wondering if my story is what it is. It just, it just is. Like you're tired, you're worn out. You don't have any ability to pick yourself up in this moment and move on because you're just tired. And you know that I'm talking to you right now. Here's how I know that it was the condition that the, Hebrew, that, the, that the people that the writer of Hebrews was writing to because in verses 12 and 14 of chapter 12 it says to be made strong even in your weakness by lifting up your tired hands in praise, in prayer and worship. And strengthen your weak knees. Some of you have got some tired hands and some weak knees in here today. But can I encourage you that if you keep, as it says in verse 13, for as you keep walking forward on God's paths, all your stumbling ways will be divinely healed. You might feel weak, tired, feel like you want to give up. Just say, this is where the story ends. But God wants you to know this, that your story isn't over. Your story isn't over. That's how the people of Israel felt when the book of Isaiah was written. They felt like their story was over. They had been disobedient to God multiple times over. And there finally came a place where God sent the word through the prophet Isaiah. It's very hard to read the first 39 chapters of Isaiah because all you see is over and over and over and over and over just this is what God's about to do. He's literally going to rip the people of Israel out of the promised land that has been given to them and they're going to go into exile. And be in exile in Babylon. The dispirited nation of Israel suffered a period of great distress. Politically, as oppressive Assyrian powers invaded and conquered their lands. And in chapters 1 through 39 of Isaiah, God speaks his judgment on Israel, and they are exiled to Babylon. But then. Isaiah transitions in chapter 40. And from chapter 40 to 66, it's a message of hope. It's a message that says the answer is coming. That you're not going to stay here forever. You see, maybe your life feels like Isaiah chapters 1 through 39. And chapters 40 through 66 have not been written yet. So you sit here today discouraged. You sit here today tired and weak because you're like, I just don't know if I can continue to go on because where is the hope? I believe that there is something at this transition point in Isaiah that can provide some encouragement for us today. Because if I, as I've already said, Israel had nearly given up hope thinking God had abandoned them. And then God speaks three encouraging things through the prophet Isaiah to them in Isaiah chapter 40. 
Let's start in verse 25, and it says this. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Ask the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all of the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of His great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. You know what God is saying in this moment to the Israelites? Is that God is bigger. He's saying God is bigger. Can I encourage you today that God is bigger than any situation that you face? Any struggle that you have in your life? I don't care if you feel like you're at the bare bottom of life right now. Guess what? God is bigger. I don't care what the size of your problem is. God is bigger. And in Isaiah chapter 40, he says, who can compare to me? He says, I roll out the stars and call them by name. Let's just think about that for a minute. Because I think that this is important for us to really grab a hold of the, 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 the bigness of God. Think about, God calls the stars by name. By name. Let me take you on a little science journey here. The, the galaxy that we live in, it's called the Milky Way, right? Let's, let's think about how many stars the Milky Way galaxy has. Now, scientists can't really prove how many stars they are. They just assume that there's anywhere from 100 to 400 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. Let's just meet in the middle, okay? Let's just, let's just say 300 million, 250, 300 million billion, excuse me, did I, yeah, I meant billion, 250 to 300 billion stars, and he knows them by name, he just, there you go, star number this, and star number that, this is your name, and this is your name, and it's not a number, it's a name, isn't that great to think that it's not just a number? But if you think, like, like if you can wrap your brain around that one, okay. I mean, let's think, yeah, I could do that. Okay, well, let me, let's just go a little further. In 2016, it was discovered that there are two trillion, somebody say trillion, galaxies in the universe. Two trillion. Now multiply two trillion by 250 billion, and that's how many stars we have in the universe. And, and by the way, the universe continues to expand. How crazy is that? And to think that he knows them all by name, that he's bigger than that. Our minds can't fathom how big God really is. But one thing is for sure, when you try, you realize that God is bigger than anything that you face. Here's the second thing that he encourages them with. First is, is God is bigger. Second is, God is personal. He's personal. Realize that even though God is big, and he knows the number of stars in the universe, calls them by name, God is big, yes, but he's also personal. He's interested in you. He's interested in writing your story. 
Isaiah continues in verses 27 and 28 of chapter 40. O Jacob, how can you say that the Lord does not see your troubles? O Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. How many times have we said, oh God, where are you? Oh God, have you forgotten me? Oh God, do you not see me? I'm not looking like a fool right now. I'm raising my hand to that question. There have been times where I have sat and I've asked my own wife, does God even see us right now? Because we face this or we face that or this struggle happens or this challenge presents itself. And we're just like, man, where did we get off thinking that the life that we're to live is going to be all peaches and cream the entire time? That we, it, it, we heard it this morning. There are going to be trials. There are going to be troubles in this world. You will face troubles, but behold, I have overcome. What God is saying here is He's saying to the people of Israel, how can you say that I don't see you? I see you. I know exactly where you are. And I know that you're weak, but guess what? I never grow weak. I never grow weary. So it doesn't matter how weak you get, how weary you get, I will be there. Which leads us to the third thing that He encourages them with, is that God is your strength. So God is bigger God is personal. God is your strength. Verses 29 through 31, it says, He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust or wait, as some translations say, in the Lord will find new strength or renew their strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Go back to verse 29. It says he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Can I tell you something? Your weakness is actually a good thing. We live in a culture and a society today that says, don't worry, you know, like, let, let, let's, let's find your strengths and focus on your strengths and let's not even worry about your weaknesses because your weaknesses don't serve a purpose. Your weaknesses aren't any good. Your weaknesses are, are weaknesses. But in God's economy, it's different. In God's economy, weaknesses are the very thing that God is looking for. Because guess what? In God's economy, it's our weakness that makes room for His power. Oh my goodness. Like, dear Jesus, I'm about to go sit down. Listen to me. It is our weakness that makes room for His power. And then in verse 30, even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. What God is saying is, is I don't care what the greatest athlete that there is in the world. I don't care what, what person is in the best shape. I don't care what nutrition plan they're on, exercise plan they're doing to get to this point to where they are just this freak of nature. I don't care if you're Zion Williamson and you can be 6'8", 280 pounds in the number one draft pick by the Pelicans and you feel like the world is just at your fingertips. Guess what? God says even that person 
we'll grow tired and we'll grow weak. We can't do it on our own strength. But aren't you thankful that it didn't stop at verse 30, that he ends it with verse 31, but those who trust or wait in the Lord will find new strength. Now, that word for trust or wait, whatever your translation says, in the original language means this, to wait. Don't you feel like I just made you smarter right there? But it goes on to define it as to look for, to hope, to expect. And I really like that word expect. Because I think if you were to say, but those who expect the Lord, those who expect the Lord to do what he says he's going to do, You know, I'm 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 got this little book in the mail the other day, and it's a it's a book all about uh, worship. And and it takes that word praise, actually, you know, like in 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 the Bible, sometimes it's good to go back and see what the original language said because our our English dictionary only allows for certain words to be translated. So what I mean by that is is for example, the word love. Okay, there's like five different meanings in the Bible as to what love is. You know, you have a filio love, which is a brotherly love. You have an eros love, which is more of that romantic love. You have an agape love, which is God's love. But in our language, it all goes back to love. So sometimes you can read Scripture, and you could be thinking, well, this is, means one thing. Well, when you realize what type of love that actually is, it kind of transforms that verse into meaning something totally different than maybe what you thought it to always be. Well, in this book, they take the word praise, and praise actually has seven different meanings in Scripture, in the original language. Seven different meanings. And so the word that, that, that uh, you know, like we, we sing a lot of songs that say hallelujah in it. Well, hallelujah is not actually in Scripture because it's two words in the original language. And that, those two words together means that when we praise God, Okay, and we lift up a hallelujah, if you will, then it, it's, it's, it's one of which com communicates we are in expectation that God is going to move. We're in expectation that God is going to do what He said He's going to do. How many times have I sat or stood on this row and I've worshipped or appeared to have worshipped, but yet there's no expectation? I can only speak for myself. There are times where I have done that. Sometimes it's more about going through the motion because this is what we normally do, so let's just raise our hand. But am I really got a heart and a sense of expectation in my heart and my spirit that God is going to move? Now I'm saying like more times than not, yes, I am expecting. But I'm not just sitting here telling you that I'm expecting every Sunday or every time I go into a worship service, wherever that might be. But when we sing words like hallelujah, are we just saying it because it's what's on the screen or are we saying it because we're full of expectation? And the same is true for this word wait. 
It's not just, hey, let's wait on a chair, twiddle our thumbs, and then hopefully God just drops something in our lap. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying those that are expecting God to move. Expecting God. You see, we can't afford just to read this. We can't afford just to hear it. We can't afford just to say it because it sounds good. Again, I can only speak to myself. I am guilty of this at times where I just say things because it's the right thing to say. When somebody says something and I hear it, and I'm like, man, that's good because I'm supposed to say that. Or I read at times and I just read it for the sake of reading it instead of allowing it to attach itself onto the inside. How many times do we hear messages, read our word, read a devotional, read a book, whatever it might be, and we just read it. We just hear it. We just say it. How many times do we do that in our worship? We cannot... No, we, 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 we no longer can afford to do that any longer. We cannot afford to just read things, to just hear things, to just say things because it sounds good or because it's what I should say. But we have to transition to one of which we have to expect God. We have to trust God. We have to believe God. We have to have faith because your life is a story that people are reading because they need hope. They don't want cliche sayings anymore. They don't want fake anymore. They don't want a show anymore. People want the truth they want the real, authentic story. And what are we communicating with our lives? What is our story saying? As Christina comes back up, what does waiting look like? What does waiting look like? What does it mean to wait or to expect or to trust? Because, you know, sometimes I think what we do is we read scriptures like this and we're like, yeah, that sounds great, but I have no clue what that means. I don't know what to do with it. What does waiting look like? There's four things that waiting looks like. The number one thing is, is that it, it, it looks like longing for the Lord. Longing for the Lord. Psalm 62.1 says this, I wait quietly before God. For my victory comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will never be shaken. So many enemies against one man, all of them trying to kill me. To them, I'm just a broken down wall or a tottering fence. They plan to topple me from my high position. They delight in telling lies about me. They praise me to my face, but curse me in their hearts. Let all that I am quietly, let all that I am wait quietly before God. For my hope is in Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. 
My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Oh, my people, trust Him at all times. Pour out your heart to Him, for God is our refuge. That's David in a moment of distress, in a moment where the world is coming against him. And instead of trying to devise the next war plan, strategy, what is he doing? He's waiting. He's longing for God. He's like, God, I can't make it without you. I will stay here as long as it takes until I know that you are with me and that you go before me because you are my rock. You are my salvation. Not any army officer of mine, not any strategy that I'm going to come up with, but you and I will stay here as long as it takes and long for you until I get you. That's what waiting on the Lord looks like. It looks like longing for the Lord. You know what else it looks like? It looks like listening to the Lord. Proverbs 8.34 says, Joyful are those who listen to me, watching for me daily at my gates, waiting for me outside of my home. Now what the writer of Proverbs is talking about is wisdom at this point. If you read further, it says that God actually honors those that listen to wisdom. Basically, how I translate this is, is that this is the Holy Spirit speaking wisdom into our hearts. And are we willing, are we willing to watch daily? The gates of the Holy Spirit's home, if you will. Are, are we willing to wait outside of the Holy Spirit's home so that when He speaks and the Lord speaks to us, we're listening? Do you realize that God desires to speak to you every single day? Every single day, He's looking for an opportunity to speak to you. But is the question is, is are we listening? Are we listening? Do we actually take a brief moment in our day just to sit quietly and wait on Him to speak? Do we even take the opportunity to wake up in the morning and say, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to talk to? What do you want me to say? What do you want to share with me? Longing for the Lord, listening to the Lord. The third thing is look to the Lord. Psalms 104, 27 says, All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. Isn't it amazing if you, you know, sometimes God speaks through nature, right? And if you look at animals and stuff, like, they're not cowering underneath a tree somewhere going, oh my goodness, where's my food coming from? Like, where's the next meal coming from? You, do, do you ever see an animal weep? Like, out in the wild. Some of you have cats and dogs, and y'all might say, my little baby weeps all the time if we don't put food in the bowl. those creatures in the wild look they like they, they, there's no support groups <clears throat> for lions and tigers because they're depressed because they don't have no meal coming right they just go and they it's there it's there and these are creatures that are just here on this earth I mean think about that all creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time If a creature 
is willing to look to Him, shouldn't we be willing to look at Him as well and look to Him? I mean, Paul, he was that way. Philippians 4.19, I am convinced that my God will, will fully satisfy every need that you have. He didn't have to think about it. He wasn't looking to something else. The only person he was looking to was looking to the Lord. For I have seen the abundant riches of glory revealed to me through the anointed one, Jesus Christ. So long for the Lord. Listen to the Lord. Look to the Lord. And here's the fourth thing. Live. Live. Somebody say live. Live for the Lord. Proverbs 27, 18. Whoever keeps the fig tree will eat its fruit. So he who waits on his master will be honored. So he who waits on his master will be honored. When you go to a nice restaurant, birthday, anniversary, we normally take it up a notch, don't we? We don't settle for... Chick-fil-A, chilies. We go to White Cloth. Some of y'all, some of y'all might be like, man, Chick-fil-A is my jam. Like, I'm going to do that, right? But you know, I mean, like, if you're, let's, let's step up the game here for all of us. Like, if you're celebrating, like, a monumental thing, I mean, like, you take a white tablecloth. When you go to a nice restaurant, yeah, like, I remember there was one restaurant, and I don't even remember what it was. It might have been, I don't, I, I don't even know. I'm not even going to try to figure it out. But I remember us going to a nice restaurant one night to, to, um, celebrate our anniversary this was the first restaurant I have ever been in that they, they give you bread and boy if you get one crumb on that table boom somebody's there with this little scooper thing just scooping up the crumbs off of because they just want you to have the clean table to eat off of I'm like that is that's, that's service right there look you know who, who God's looking for? He's looking for us to wait on Him, to serve Him, to live for Him. Pastor Stephan said it this morning, who's going to take up, you know, living for Him means taking up the cross. I don't think the guy necessarily enjoys scooping up the crumbs all the time, but guess what? It's what his job is. He's there to serve, and he does it. And therefore, he serves, he gets honored. All good waiters and waitresses get honored, don't they? At the end, it's called a tip. Isaiah 40, 31. But those who trust, wait in the Lord. Those are the four things that waiting looks like. Long for the Lord. Listen to the Lord. Look to the Lord. Live for the Lord. But back here, it says, this is what I want to close with. But those who trust, wait in the Lord, will find new strength they will soar high on wings like eagles they will run and not grow weary they will walk and not faint that word for renew or new or whatever your translation says that word in the original language means to change for better to change for better so those who expect God to move expect 
him to strengthen them, they will exchange their strength for his strength. You see, God is wanting to make an exchange with you today. Your strength for his strength. He wants to make an exchange with you today. Your pen that you've been writing your own story with, or maybe you've been putting that pen into other people's hands and allowing them to write uh, the story for you, he wants to take that pen and he wants to, you to exchange it for his pen. To continue writing your story. Your epic story. You see, it says they will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. You know, eagles are pretty spectacular birds. But do you realize that most of the time they don't even fly? They soar. Okay, flying and soaring are two different things. Okay, flying means that you actually flap your wings and you do all of the work. Right? Do you realize that if an eagle does that, he can actually kill himself? Isn't that amazing? Because their wings are so heavy, they don't have enough muscles inside of their wings to really flap and get a good flight going. And so the more harder that they work, the, it, it outworks their heart, they die. Isn't that crazy? Instead, what eagles do is they, 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 they'll go up to high places. Okay, they can flap enough to get up to the high place. Okay, they're not going to kill themselves going up the tree. But then what they do is they sit there and they wait for wind to come. They wait for, that's why they love storms. They love storms. Eagles love storms because it creates wind. And so when they feel that wind, you know what they do? They just spread the wings and then they just, whoop, they just fall. And then the wind comes up underneath their wings and then they soar. Here's the thing. The more and more that you try to do your life by yourself, it's going to kill you. If you're going to try to do it in your own strength, it's going to kill you. Maybe not physically, but it'll kill you emotionally, kill you mentally, it'll kill you spiritually. Listen, I see heads shaking out all over this place because you know what it's like to try to do it on your own. You've been there, done that. Some of you are there right now trying to do it on your own strength, but it will kill you. But you know what? When the eagle spreads his wings and just falls, guess what he has? He has faith. He has faith in the wind to allow him to soar. Eagles are one of the only birds that fly to the altitudes that they fly. So when they get caught up in a storm, they actually fly above the storm. I want to show you this picture real quick. A couple of weeks ago when I was flying back from Dallas. Now, you might have to cut the lights off so you can really see it. And you might still not be able to see it. Okay, so, so just to kind of give you an idea. Like in Dallas, it was storming that morning or beginning to storm. The clouds were dark. They were actually like trying to hurry the people up on the plane so that we could get up in the air because that way we could avoid turbulence trying to get up above the storm. And so 
all those clouds you see underneath that, like even though they appear white on the screen, they're actually really gray and storms are happening. But you know what's interesting to me is that the sun still shines above the storm. And so like I took this picture because I was like, I'm definitely going to be able to use that at some point. And today was that day. And the reason being is, is because, you see, when we exchange what we have for what he has, it says that we will soar on wings like eagles, which means that we will take that very thing that was a challenge in your life, it'll take that very thing that you want out of your life right now and turn it into the very thing that you need to get above it, to see from his perspective. Because see, when you don't, and you're on your perspective, you can turn the lights back on. When you have your perspective, all you see is storm. All you see is problem. All you see is your circumstance. But when you exchange your strength for his strength, and you begin to soar, all it does, it doesn't change the fact that the storm isn't still there. It just changes your perspective. And then it gives you the ability to run and not grow weary to walk and not faint. See, God's not so much interested in changing your situation as much as He's interested in changing you. So your story isn't over. <laughs> your story doesn't have a bad ending. Your story continues. It ends in victory. See, some of y'all thought that your story was over and that there was no sequel planned. I'm here to give you hope today that your sequel is just now getting started. And part two is way better than part one. To God be the glory, but the best is yet to come. Let's stand all over this place today.